the show is tweeting. Upload the GIF. Welcome to Connected from Relay FM. This is episode 187. It's brought to you this week by Squarespace, Pingdom, and FreshBooks. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined by my co-host in co-host slot number one. I have Federico Vitici. Hello, Federico. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I am good and loaded into co-host. I demand zero. I demand number zero, please. <laughs> slot number number one A, Mike Early. Okay, that'll do. Did you get the reference? No, I did because Steve Jobs wanted to be Steve Jobs reference. Mm-hmm. I thought you, it was like some kind of binary joke that, that were like zero and one, and Stephen is the is the owner of the computer and owns the code because he's the you know code master. That's what they call. Yes, is is the code master, Stephen? <laughs> please save us from this and do follow up, Stephen. Please. Before that, we have to have. Story time with Uncle Stephen. Oh. So the the reference, I won't explain the reference because if if you're the Casey of that reference, it's just fine. I can't help you. But that that comes up again when they introduced the 20th anniversary Mac. They did it like the end of this keynote. Steve Jobs had just been hired back as like an advisor, and it was like the worst keynote ever. And they give Apple gives a 20th anniversary Mac to Steve Jobs and to Wozniak. And the guy, the presenter, who's like some random person at Apple, makes the joke. He's like, oh, you know, Waz, your TAM is serial number one, but we made Steve Jobs serial number zero. And it's like said with like contempt. It's super awkward. I I will see if I can find a link to it. Uh, But just trust me that it happened. It's weird. Anyways, okay, follow up. This has actually given me an idea. Federico, have you ever seen The Pirates of Silicon Valley? Oh, yeah, I love the movie. Yeah. Okay, because that's where it comes from. I was thinking that, you know, um, maybe maybe a member special, we could watch that this year. What do you think about that? Oh, yes. That'd be good. That could be fun, right? Yeah, okay. That's right. It's going in my document. Okay. Perfect. So look out for that in August. <laughs> See you in August. Bye. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors this week. No, no, we, we can't leave yet. We have follow-up oh. to do. Oh, Oof. Okay, after okay. the follow-up, we can go, right? Yeah, yes. okay, fine. We're going to start with iOS 11.3. After being in beta for what felt like about eight years, it finally shipped. Yeah. Yeah, they, they started working on this in 2010. Uh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny that they were working on it for eight years and they didn't ship two of the major features, right? It's funny. It's funny that that happens. Well, I mean, uh, a company at this scale, Mike, mm-hmm. did, you got to understand. I think it's the organizational structure because they're like, <laughs> what is it? They're in like no pillars. Boy. I can't remember it. Do I've you, never do you know some? Do you know some employee only uh, internal names, Mike? I know that you love those internal uh, names. Yep. Yeah, I do, yeah. I, I, but I can't talk about them right now because I'll give away my source. What sure, is happening? Sure, I've lost control of follow up. <laughs> We're in deep memes now. We're like <laughs> deep into like just Apple reporting memes. This so, is what mm-hmm. happens if you let us if you if you let us wrestle the control of follow up with okay. you. So Federico, eleven point three is out. It did not include AirPlay two. It did not include iMessage and the iCloud syncing thing. Uh, what did it include? Anything? So we have. Um, do you remember? It was um, 
before the holidays when everybody was upset about the battery and the mm-hmm. iPhone shutting down. Well, now there's the setting that Apple promised. Uh, you can go into the settings battery screen and see the battery health of your device. This um, is the weirdest screen I have ever seen on any Apple product of all time. Yeah, there's a there's a button that, that it's not a button, but it, it works like one. <laughs> I know. It's like a fake button. It's very strange. It's really weird. It's like, oh, you can press peak performance capability, but nothing happens it's very it's really weird <laughs> yeah um so also i don't think i mean of course the the media doesn't care about this story anymore apple promised uh, the fix the fix is here and i guess people are still you know going into rushing into the apple retail stores to get their phones checked out i think it's good news that everybody can now go into settings and confirm that the you know what the status of the battery is mm-hmm. we have ar kit 1.5 with some of the most important important feature requests from developers are uh, vertical surface recognition so ARKit can now recognize walls and, uh, and other objects of different shapes. Uh, the resolution has increased and there is camera out of focus. Have so you played each- with any apps that are using this mm-hmm. new stuff? Not yet, uh, okay. which made me think about whether the, the developer, you know, attention around this as sort of... No, it's quieter now. Everybody mm. was sending me demos and betas of ARKit stuff back in August and early September. I don't know. I guess maybe developers need more time or... I don't know. I saw some numbers. Um, for, I think it was Sensor Tower, the analytics firm, uh, about the total downloads of ARKit apps so far. Something like 13 million downloads of uh, ARKit-enabled uh, apps on iOS, which it sounds like a big number, but it really isn't. Uh, because, uh, first of all, it's not total apps, of course. It's total downloads. And when you consider how many people have access to the App Store and how many people have the latest generation iPhones or iPads that support ARKit, 13 million in like, uh, what what is that? Uh, Six, seven Six months? months? Six months. It's really not a big number. So, I don't know. Uh, ARKit 1.5, and we have new Animoji. You can be a dragon, you can be a lion, you can be a bear, you can be a skull. Is that is that all? I think it's all that yep. we got. And uh, along with 11.3 also comes the related HomePod software amp update, which according to some people, namely Mr. Rambo on Twitter and 9to5Mac, uh, it's uh, the HomePod uh, OS. It's called Audio OS internally, yeah. uh, if you look into the code strings and stuff. But to the user, it's not shown. It's just, Is it uh, Audio OS or Audio OS? Oh, I see what you mean. I'm mm. not sure. I think it's Audio OS. It's got to be, right? Like, I would be so disappointed if they called it Audio OS. Because it just like audio use, which is also kind of funny. Yeah, I don't think it's two O's. I think it's it's just one. Adios. Adio S. Hmm, interesting. I'm very pleased to tell you that uh, all the issues with SiriKit that I was having uh, before that the HomePod was telling me that apps were not installed where actually they were, those have all been fixed. And I've been That's talking good. to um, both to John and Ryan at Mac Stories and also f- with some readers. Um, everybody who was having these problems with the HomePod and SiriKit before, they all appear to be fixed now that the HomePod is finally able to see that you actually have apps installed on your device and those apps have been authorized for SiriKit usage. So that at least is a, is a good fix. 
but then again, we don't have uh, stereo pairing, we don't have AirPlay 2, we don't have messages in the cloud, and those are supposedly coming with 11.4, which is now in beta, but it's not here, and it will be probably available in June. I don't know. Well, they said it, right, at the education event. They said that some of like the uh, class kit stuff is June with 11.4. Yeah, so I suppose it will be launching in June. I I wondered if maybe Apple could do something like 11.4 comes out in May, but you get to download the Schoolwork app that contains ClassKit as a separate download later in June. Well, let me just say, let me just say, right? Like, if you released new iPads, you might yeah. need a software a release. OS. That's also true. That's right? also true. So, like, if, you know, here we go. I'm going to roll out with just, the conspiracy just theories saying, Just saying, though. I mean, if you have just a new saying. iPad. I'm just uh, saying, like, if you had one, right, you might need an operating mm-hmm. system update around the same time. So, there we go. This is not the, in the follow-up section, but I want to talk about that for a second. So, we did have iPad Pros last year at WC, along with iMacs and a bunch of notebooks. And then the iMac Pro, of course, came like six months later. Mm-hmm. Apple has not been in the habit of hardware releases at WWDC for a long time. And really, last year was really a different, like a break from their normal tradition of really not having much hardware, if any, at WWDC. Do we just all think now that they're going to have hardware every June? Like, I'm not convinced that we're not going to wait to the fall again. I don't think that it is like a definite that it's going to happen every June, but I just think that enough things are happening which would indicate to me that the iPad Pros are coming in June. One of the main reasons that I believe this now is because the Apple Pencil is supported on the cheapest iPad, that for them to continue to want to sell iPad Pros, they need to widen the gap between those two products again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the, the Pencil has always been a Pro feature, well, now it's not, so they want to try and make sure that the gap is wider again for the iPads, and it makes sense to do that sooner rather than later. So that's why I think if we're going to get it, it happens in June. I also think we're just not going to get iPads yeah. in September anymore because it's not important enough, and there's no point in taking time away from the iPhone keynote. Like You mm. may as well do them on a different schedule. Um, I, I don't think that it is beneficial particularly to to hold them until september if they don't need to it also gets rid of the weird awkwardness of like will they or won't they have an october event you know for a long time they had both and they didn't and a lot of times that second fall event was like ipads and like other stuff some mac stuff that was kind of just like grab bag and very rarely did the october event have like a nice thread all the way through it so yeah i mean i don't uh, I think it's definitely possible. I'm not saying it's not. I just think that it's interesting they've done it once, and now we kind of take it for granted. But anyways. Yeah. I'm, I mean, also, if you're going to have iOS 12 with no iPad-specific features at WWDC, giving pro users a new mm-hmm. iPad is a good way to sort of calm those concerns down, to say, well, you have no new features, but hey, look, you got a new iPad with Face ID and a new design and no home button. So everybody's still kind of happy, even though the software is still basically the same. So we talked about the education event. Was that only a week ago? It seems like that event was a year ago. ago. (laughs) It was actually in 2012. They did it in New York. They introduced textbooks. (laughs) There were uh, a couple of... um, 
bits of follow-up. Uh, I wanted to point people to an episode of Simple Beep, which is a podcast I've talked about before. They talk about Apple history stuff. They did a really cool episode about Apple's history in education. So we talked a little bit about this, how like they gave a bunch of Apple IIs away to California schools. And I learned a ton of stuff. Like In the 90s, Apple had some crazy education initiatives they had where they're trying to like build first party software and they had like two releases and then just disbanded the team and like um, all sorts of like different programs. And it was, it was, it was opening. I didn't really realize a lot of the specifics. Uh, so there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And if you're, if you want to get into that, um, it's a good place to start, but we also have some follow up about Logitech's name. I don't know who put this in the, in the show notes. One of you want to take this? Yeah, this came from to us from Toto because we were talking about Logitech last week, right? How they're known as Logi um, in Europe. Apparently, in Japan, they're called Logicool, L O G I C O O L, which That's is great. really good because like they are both logical <laughs> okay. and Logicool. Okay. It's great. I, I, that should be their name yeah. everywhere. Uh, I I think that's great. I think oh. it's a very good name, and I appreciate finding that out. If Logitech are called anything different in your country, please write in for my new regular segment. Yeah, in the Vatican, in in the Vatican, they're called the Logi Truth. So that's something that I, I heard, feel like uh, that that's that's going friends. in places that I don't understand, and I'm really I really want to move away from. So we were talking about LTE <laughs> Apple Watches not expanding outside of the US and the UK and like the original countries. Turns out, and then we caused it to happen. <laughs> that's that's the reverse curse. Uh, it's the LTE Apple Watch is coming to Thailand on April fifth. And we also had someone write into us. I'm not sure if we're able to say who, so I haven't included their name, but they know who they are. Uh, that They said that they'd had some conversations with some networks in places in Europe. And apparently the reason that we're not seeing the LTE Apple Watch expand very quickly is because there is network technology which is required to be in place for something like the LTE Apple Watch to exist. I expect it's probably something to do with that phone number thing, right? You know, it has like the phone number crossover or whatever. So the it seems like the reason that we're not seeing this expand very quickly is because of slow network adoption, and we all know how badly that can go. So maybe it is going to be quite a while until this expands widely. Sorry, Federica. Did we, did we complete the follow-up? Yeah, I think so. so are, we, are we done now? Can I go? Yeah, you can go. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about Squarespace, and we'll see you next week. Um, today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. You can make your next move with Squarespace because they will let you easily create a website for your next idea, project. No matter what it is, Squarespace have the tools that you're going to need because they're an all-in-one platform. With Squarespace, there's nothing you have to install or patch or upgrade. They've got you covered with all of that stuff. And they have your back too with 24-7 customer support in case you need any help. With Squarespace, you can easily grab a unique domain name so you can give your site the name that it desires and deserves. You can also make it look beautiful with an award-winning template so you'll be able to show off your ideas in the most pristine fashion available. No matter what type of website you want to build, whether you want to have an online store, a blog, a portfolio, a site for your business, a site for your band, Squarespace, have all of the tools that you're going to need. You can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. And their plans start at just $12 a month when you sign up, but you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code CONNECTED at checkout. 
So go to squarespace.com slash connected, use the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So there was a Bloomberg report uh, earlier on this week um, about the possibility of Apple moving to ARM Max in 2020. Stephen, can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so this is something that's kind of been like low-level background for a long time. Uh, I don't know if uh, you'd have to go back to the show notes to find the first time we talked about ARM Max, but uh, it was years ago, I'm sure. But this story from uh, German and Ian King over on Bloomberg we're kind of putting some of the pieces together that Apple is very much in in the work of building and eventually shipping Macs with ARM processors instead of Intel processors. They talk a lot about the iMac Pro and the and the Touch Bar MacBook Pros that have ARM chips in them now. So like my iMac Pro has what Apple calls the T2 chip. And that's not a processor in the sense that, you know, if I export uh, an audio file, the T2 is not like doing work to make that happen. But the T2 is sort of a helper. It's a little buddy, a little processor buddy who is in charge of things like the speakers and the FaceTime camera and the SSDs and sort of a, a management tool as opposed to like an outright processor. And that seems to be what will be the case with the upcoming Mac Pro as well, according to this article. But that is just a stepping stone to Apple replacing the the Intel core, you know, i3, i5, i7, Xeon with something ARM-based that they are developing in-house. And, of course, Apple doesn't fab those chips. They outsource the fabrication to other companies. But it's an Apple design with Apple technology in it. And, you know, I don't know if it's because... There's also talk about like the software thing, but this kind of all feels inevitable when we get into that. But the software story is important here too. So this kind of, in this article, is a little hand-in-hand with Project uh, Marzipan, which we've talked about before, which is what Apple's expected to do this summer, giving developers tools and a, and a pathway to take an iOS app or iOS code base and compile an app for the Mac with some sort of shared layer some sort of bridge between the two. We don't really know what that looks like yet, uh, but that I think in this, like, I think these two stories are related in ways that we can explore. So that's kind of the story. Intel dropped like nine percent of its uh, stock price Which is after this. Really weird, right? Like, because what what are they like? What did it say? They're like five percent of their overall business or something. Yeah. So five percent of Intel's business is the Mac. Which, I mean, makes sense, right? The, the Mac doesn't sell very well compared to the rest of the PC industry numbers-wise. But I think it drops so much because Apple, even though it's a rather small amount of Intel's business, I think it's a really, like, from a public perception side, it's a very important right. part of Intel's and business. I, right? I guess it could also be a sign of the times, right? Yes, because this uh, there's an article on The Verge. I think the headline was something like... Um, Apple's moving on from Intel because Intel's not moving anywhere. Like Intel has struggled over the last, you know, five to ten years to really make meaningful progress in some areas. And part of that is that we are just and they like really, really stumbled on smartphone chips, didn't they? Like they were totally really far they totally missed totally missed the mobile the whole scene there, right? That they don't really have anything that makes sense to put inside an iPhone. And you see some Intel-powered Android phones, and they, of course, are making modems and other pieces to the puzzle. 
but Intel stuck with the desktop probably too long. And I don't think they're doomed, but I think that they are behind what others are doing because ARM is such a good solution for these mobile devices and Intel just can't compete with that yet. So that I think I think that's I think you're right. I think that's more about what this is about with their stock price that oh right. They did miss the boat. And I would imagine like if we had a world where Intel was ready for what happened in two thousand seven, they had a processor that Apple could have put in the original iPhone this would be a very different story, but that's not the case. And now Apple is in this position where the majority of their computers they sell are iPhones and iPads, and they have ARM processors in them. And then the however many million, handful of million a quarter max they sell run a totally different, you know, totally different processor, different platform. And I think Apple wants to do something about that. And I think there's lots of benefits to it. So, Stephen, let me ask you a question. So, obviously, this isn't the first time that Apple has made a transition with the Macintosh, right? They went from uh, PowerPC to Intel um, back when I bought my first Mac uh, with the iMac. They went from the G5 to the, what was it, Core Duo or something? What what was that chip? Was it called the Core Duo then? Yeah, the first Intel chip Apple used was the Core Duo. Very quickly turned over to the Core 2 Duo. Mm -hmm. Um, And, fun time with Uncle Steven. Fun time with Uncle Steven sounds like... Something else. You don't want to um, do that. Like you just you, you have to avoid that at all costs. They did what it sounds like. also sell one core solo, a Mac Mini that was, I think, actually slower than the G4 it replaced, or like it wasn't remarkably fast, or like it was a terrible. Anyways, Core Duo is what they went with for the iMac and the MacBook Pro. So they've done this transition once before, and I'm sure, like as everyone's thinking about this, and as we continue to talk about it, I guess at a more frequent pace over the next couple of years, right, as the pieces start to fall into place. This will probably be brought up a lot because this is there, we, there is some precedence for it. But my mm-hmm. thinking, and I wonder what you think of it, whilst that, that transition went really well, you know, they have Rosetta and everything went over and then everyone I think was better off at the end of it. We had fast computers and the software moved along. But it isn't 2005 anymore. And I would assume that if this happens and Apple transitions from Intel to ARM and there is significant development work required, you know, to like replace parts of your code base, that it will probably be worse than the 2005 switchover because I would expect a lot more applications will be left behind now than there was in the original, in the previous. Yeah. That's a, that's something I've really been thinking a lot about. And Jason Snell actually just published on Macworld. I think today, uh, an an article about the, the actually the last two Mac processor transitions because they transferred to the PowerPC and then away from it later. And it's a good article; you should go read it. I think uh, I think there's a couple things to unpack here. One was the reason Apple moved to Intel, and you touched on it that at the end of the day, we had Macs that were noticeably faster and more capable. They ran cooler, which Apple's big thing was like performance performance per watt, which like isn't really a thing like they put it on like a bar graph like a bezos chart it's like what are you doing uh but the idea was i get this much performance but i have to burn this much heat and it made things like a g5 power book impossible but apple looked at intel and the, the intel chips were better suited for what apple wanted to build and so they moved and that was really ibm's fault that the power pc they couldn't get it cool they couldn't get it small and in a sense, it was a dead-end roadmap for what Apple wanted to do. 
I don't think that's the case this time. Yes, Intel has slowed down. Yes, there have been issues with their their mobile strategy. And yes, there have been security issues with things like Meltdown and Spectre. But like just this week, even Apple or uh, Intel, excuse me, have released new chips, including an i9. Uh, the i7 is six core. Hopefully we see that in an iMac and a MacBook Pro this summer. Uh, but Intel is still moving forward. It, I don't think their Apple's at a place where they want to build something and Intel has nothing for them. I think if you look at like the MacBook, maybe that's as close as you get where like, I bet Apple wishes it was faster, but they wanted to be fanless, so they put up with the Core M. But I don't think this is a situation where Intel doesn't have to have anything, uh, can't offer Apple anything. I think what this is about instead is that Apple wants to have a more complete control over its ecosystem. I don't think it's about releasing fat, like Macs on a more regular basis. If they do this, I still expect we'll see every 12 to 18 months. Like I just, I don't see Apple revving these things all the time. Um, in fact, a lot of the times where Apple takes its time is because they skip Intel generations that, that very famously happened with the Mac pro. So anyways, uh, to your actual question is of how they handle the, the transition. I think that that reasoning is, is something to factor in that they felt like they had to do it last time and they worked really hard to make it as as easy as possible. You know, developers did have to recompile, but there was Rosetta, which would allow you to run a PowerPC app on an Intel machine. And the speed difference between the two was so great, Rosetta apps ran more or less as fast as you were used to. You know, maybe more complex apps were a touch slower, but they were all totally usable. You know, we all were using Photoshop yeah. and Microsoft Word and stuff in Rosetta, and like no one cared. It was fine. Can Apple's ARM chips? be that much faster than a current MacBook Pro so they can emulate it and it be fast enough? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I know that what we have seen in benchmarking so far shows that the iPad Pro in particular is as fast as a Mac, it's faster than a MacBook and about as fast, I believe, as like a entry-level MacBook Pro. But they can't catch up with, you know, the high-end MacBook Pro, let alone the iMac Pro or the Mac Pro. So I think that's one thing that's different is that I don't unless Apple's got stuff in the works that we haven't seen yet, which is totally, I believe, um, they can't match the performance of Intel yet. So you're going to ask developers and customers to move something that may be just as equally as fast or a little bit faster. In theory, it would have much better battery life, but that that performance like gain is not is not a carrot this time. I don't think uh, the last big difference is. That, like you said, it's not 2005 anymore. Remember, in 2005, the only things Apple sold were the Mac and the iPod. And so Apple transitioned their most important product, and they did a really good job of it. Like you said, now the Mac is not Apple's most important product, and it's not the biggest. It's not the one that makes the most money. And so I think there is fear amongst certain populations within the Mac universe that Apple would drop the ball in this transition because they just don't care or the Mac's not as important. I would push back on that and say that Apple, if it, if Apple does one thing really well, and they do lots of things really well, Apple does a lot of stuff great. One thing that they do exceedingly well is, is big platform transitions. So we went from OS 9 to OS 10, Carbon made that possible uh, in a way that in hindsight, is breathtaking. They did PowerPC to Intel well. They've done 32-bit to 64-bit seamlessly, both on the Mac and on the 
on the iOS side. You could buy an iPhone 5S with a 64-bit processor, and all your stuff just worked. They've done this a lot. And so I, until I'm proven wrong, I don't think I will be, this is totally within Apple's power and within their best interest to make this go smoothly. If they blow this, the Mac is is in way worse shape than it is now. And I just don't think they're going to do it. I'm not... I have concerns about the transition and what it can mean product-wise and certain things we would lose on the Mac, like the ability to run Windows and that sort of thing if, if they can't emulate x86 processes. Well, but they could use win- on Windows, right? There isn't on Windows. They, they could. Um, and, you know, maybe that'd be enough for some people. But like this, that, that might be part of, like, yeah, that might be part of why they would be able to do this now because Microsoft is going down that route anyway, right? So it's like, well, there is, whilst it won't be as good because not, again, like the same problems that Apple might have where Windows developers won't move their stuff across, at least yeah. they could say, well, it's, you know, it's not on us. That's on Microsoft to deal with. Like, we still operate. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, like, my, 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 honestly, my concern, actually, before I get on to that, you said, I don't think it's going to happen. What did you mean? Do you mean like you don't think that ARM Max will happen or you don't think that Apple will will not provide a good solution? Uh, oh, I think this is definitely happening. This feels inevitable to me. Uh, I th- I don't think they're going to let us down. I-, I truly believe that they will do everything in their power to make this as smooth as possible for consumers and for developers. What's different this time is they may not have the carrot and stick problem they had last time because the G5 was a dead end and... Everyone wanted a MacBook Pro that was three or four times faster than their PowerBooks. Yeah. Like, they have to be able to provide some really good reasons, right? Yes. Because all it really feels like is, oh, we want to control it and maybe give people better battery life. Like, I don't know yeah. how much of a... Like, to a developer, like, you, you've, I guess you've got to try and be able to say, like, we're going to make your life easier in some way, right? Like, or we're going to mm-hmm. make your applications better or give you more because this really feels to me right like i'm not trying to like like obviously i sit in the ios camp quite heavily and i'm not trying to like throw stones or whatever but sure handled poorly this could kill the mac it could because i, I think it's way riskier than it, than it was in 2005 like if adobe are like nah we're just not going to do that yeah uh, and, you know, big partners like that get advanced notice of these things, right? I, I don't think Microsoft found out at WDC 2005 that they had to recompile for Intel. Uh, but you're right. the the It is riskier because that carrot and stick aren't there. And I think part of the carrot could be the Project Marzipan stuff that if they go to iOS developers this summer and say, hey, look, if you do this work, you can run on macOS. And my guess is that if in two, if the next year or in two years they say, hey, you know, the MacBook now is an ARM processor and BT Dubs, if you project Marzipanned your app a year and a half ago or two years ago, it just works. You know, like that's the very like logical building blocks Apple puts in their developer t- tools, right? Like remember years ago we saw, oh, like I can easily resize my app. I wonder why we would need to do that. And then we had big phones and then we had iPads with slide over like Apple builds these things brick by brick, and I think Project Marzipan is probably an early brick in that process to get developers to have apps that run on everything. Now, are developers incentivized to do that? Uh, I don't know. I think that's a big question that needs to be answered because the Mac is the Mac is in in one sense, I, I believe in raw numbers bigger than it's ever been, but relatively speaking to the iPhone iPad, 
it is small. And yeah, so because it, it doesn't matter how big the Mac and well, to some people it will matter how big the Mac install base is if you are a development company and all you do is the Mac. But if yeah. you are starting a development company now, I mean you're targeting iOS, right? Because of how many yeah. more people there are. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to check something. Federico, are you playing a long con with us right now? <laughs> because uh, you said you were going to go and you hadn't said anything. No, I've been, li- just... I've, I've been listening. I've been, I've okay, been I wanted listening. to just check that you were still here. Right, that there's, was there's something that I want to say. Um, I know, but I think we're going we're gonna to hold that for a minute. Because okay. I see what's in our document here, and this is a whole okay. separate discussion. Okay. Because I, I want to talk about marzipan before we get into to, to your discussion. Mm-hmm. Because marzipan, which is the idea of one shared platform like that has to come first right because if you can create this one shared platform you might get people into the habit of developing one app for all platforms and then they're making huge changes to their mac app which might then be easier to switch over to arm right like it feels like it would be a multi-step process right that you have an ios app now make it more like the mac oh and then when we transition to arm remember we made you do all that that stuff to bring your app over to the mac well now all you need to do is this and then you can transition over to arm right and all of this stuff may have started with swift or something right like you could maybe eventually draw a line that gets you through to arm Mm -hmm. but the thing about marzipan is they also have to really sell the benefits there. And I guess I will ask you, Federico, do you think that there is like a really strong like theoretical selling point to say to someone who has a Mac app and an iOS app, make your current Mac app more like your iOS app? I think it depends how it's sold to that developer. Because this if- is what it's all about, right? Like this and the arm, like how they sell it. Uh, the idea of now you gotta you you get the amazing opportunity of wasting hours into making your <laughs> app more like an iPhone app and you get n- no visible you know big profit in return that doesn't sound like a compelling message to me if they're gonna do this and I believe there's a there's a bunch of strong arguments as to why they should do is do this um I think there there has to be an underlying message of you get to target a bigger audience, so people using uh, different form factors, um, iPhones, tablets, desktop computers of different sizes, and you can make your app more modern on the Mac without giving up all the things that are great about macOS, and you get to bring some of that power back to iOS. I've been struggling to understand what First of all, what the rumor is all about. Is it just about UI? Is it about, you know, um, deeper um, sort of controls? I struggle to imagine that it's just about, well, now there you go. You can make your your Mac app ditch the title bar and ditch the, you know, the standard windowing (laughs) controls and you can implement buttons that are just like underlined text. Uh, I don't think it's about that. I think it's it's a bigger idea of... At least that's what I'm hoping for. Of it's it's a shared environment. It's a shared tool chain where you. It's not about make writing your app 
application once and running it everywhere because that idea of run it once, run everywhere has negative connotations. I don't think it's about that. I think it's about bringing consistency to what ultimately should be the Apple platform. Because right now we are in this weird um, dichotomy of writing apps for macOS and writing apps for iOS where even the simplest thing like how you want to specify a color in your code it's different on the Mac and it's different in iOS you got what's it called NS color and UI color and those are like two separate things and I'm probably getting this wrong but the basic details are the the way that it works it's this You, you have different APIs that are slightly inconsistent and that's just more work for developers why do developers if the, if i have an idea for an application that works on the iphone works on the ipad and works on the mac why should i have to learn two slightly different uh vocabularies it's like i want to live in a country that you know um that contains all kinds of people and yet if i want to live in this country i have to learn both italian and spanish um which are arguably are really similar but also are two different languages and that's like being a mac developer today if you want to have an ios app or if you're an ios developer and want to bring your app to the mac you gotta learn a slightly different uh language that it's even more confusing because it's kind of similar but also different and that's just a waste of time so what's the compelling message to developers? And I feel like the message should be, now you get to be on all of our platforms and you don't waste time remembering all these tiny differences and you can make more money because that's ultimately what developers should should aim for, making money, being prof- profitable and making good software all while saving time. Because I, I, the more I think about this, the more I keep coming to the conclusion that it should be marzipan. It's not just about, you know, the joke of, oh, great, now I get to run Instagram on my Mac. It's, I mean, Instagram cannot even <laughs> do an iPad version. So that's the joke. Yeah, the joke luck. is, yeah. <laughs> but the idea should be there's one Apple platform and now you get to make apps for every device. Which, of course, leads us into a bigger discussion. Yeah, because I have a question uh, that I will ask, but we won't answer it until after the break. The question is, why bother porting macOS to ARM? Why not just create a brand new operating system? (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Uh, If your website was down right now, if people were trying to get to your content and couldn't see it, or your people that are trying to buy something from you are not able to get to the page to click that all-important buy now button, how would you know that you probably wouldn't know until it was too late because you'd have to wait for somebody to tell you? And that's why you need Pingdom. They give you the peace of mind that you need. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. They have tons of different ways to notify. You can get text messages or emails or push notifications via their application. They are dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable for everyone. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute start monitoring your site today all pingdom needs is the url and then they'll take care of the rest go to pingdom.com slash relay fm right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required then when you sign up use the code connected at checkout to get a massive 30 percent off your first invoice our thanks to pingdom for their support of this show and relay fm 
So let me break down my question a little bit more, open okay. up a little bit more. Okay. This isn't just about the fact that they're going to kill macOS. Hmm. It's also about you've got to make iOS better. It needs to be more powerful, hmm. especially if you're going to say to people, make this one app to run everywhere. Currently, that is not going to work, right? Because the, the sheer capabilities of these machines are vastly different, right? Like the Mac can do so much more in some instances as and and the operating system is way more open that building an application to run on both places wouldn't necessarily always work so if everything is eventually just going to be on arm then why not just hmm. merge the product lines why not do that okay so i've been thinking about this a lot and let me reply to your question with another question which is actually like more of a more of an idea and try to keep an open mind and try not to think about you know the the immediate consequences but try to think about yeah. the long like term at least at least today we're not saying that the mac should go away <laughs> at least today we're not exactly doing that. so but let, let me ask you this long term big picture why does apple need to make two operating systems and i feel like i mean it's it's a, such an, an obvious question why does apple make two os's well, do they ever need to maintain forever so for eternity some people think that apple should continue making two separate operating systems why is that and i feel like maybe this entire discussion boils down to the fact that a lot of people are stuck in this concept of the Mac is the Mac and iOS needs to be light. This is something that a lot of people have said over the years and that a lot of people continue saying that iOS needs to remain light for the Mac to be the Mac. And now I understand that there's a nostalgic aspect to this and i understand that the mac currently at the moment if you want to do certain tasks you need to to use a mac and that i totally understand and i totally under i mean i'm using a mac right now because in, it does something that i cannot do on ios but then again i'm thinking long term 10 years from now 15 20 just think of a larger number than tomorrow <laughs> does apple need to make two operating systems are we really as as a as computer users, as people who use technology, do we seriously think that 20 years from now, so in 2040 or something, are we going to use two operating systems? Or is the future moving to a place where we use the same OS that changes depending on where we are? Because the more I think about it, the more I think we're going to a future where Technology is everywhere, of course. We're seeing this today. It's on our wrist. It's around our home. It's on our desk and in our hands. Does it make sense to keep splitting the operating system systems into multiple units? Or does it make more sense to have one platform that is intelligent and that adapts to the device we're using? And so my question is, is Apple the kind of company that forever is going to say, no, no, iOS needs to remain light because the Mac is the Mac and the Macintosh is forever? Or are they going to try and say, well, 
the future is, uh, you know, it's going to be different than what we had in mind in the 80s. Um, people do not necessarily work at their desks anymore. Um, people are mobile. You know, they, they appear to be liking this mobile device kind of thing that we sort of invented. And maybe, just maybe, there should be one Apple platform that is consistent and that, for, for instance, things like Siri is consistent everywhere. And your smart home controls are also available in a laptop form factor. But the OS is the the platform is the same. But what it does on the screen, what you see on the screen changes depending on what's comfortable, on what makes sense. So, for example, you would have Windows on a big screen and you would have lots of keyboard shortcuts because you're working at a desk. Of course, you wouldn't have Windows on a phone. You wouldn't have keyboard shortcuts on a phone. And you wouldn't even have that kind of UI on a watch because it wouldn't make sense because the watch is super tiny. And the more I think about it, the more, you know, this entire Apple making their own chips discussion, all the details, I don't want to say that they don't matter, but I think we should first figure out what's the end goal. Do we really think that in the future we're going to have, you know, old Federico and old John Gruber saying the Mac needs to be the Mac and no, iOS has to be more powerful? Or are we going to have one Apple platform that is intelligent enough to change what it does depending on the computer that you're using? And I struggle to imagine a future where Apple is making multiple operating systems because, uh, I don't know, because the community wants them to keep making the Mac OS and iOS. I think there should, you, there should be one Apple OS, one Apple platform that does different things depending on what you're using at the moment. Like, I, honestly, I can't imagine a world in which these two things end up being true and that that doesn't happen, right? That like marzipan and arm, if those two things happen... I can't see how we don't get to that point with one operating system. It, it just seems like a foregone conclusion to me. And you could get into, I mean, exactly. And even getting into the specifics of why does the, I could ask you, okay, so now we agree that it makes more sense to have one single Apple OS, one single Apple platform. Does it make sense to think of the laptop and the tablet as two different things. Because if you follow these, these arguments, you could say the laptop is basically a screen with a keyboard attached and a trackpad. I think the laptops and tablets are very close, but, but I think that there does need to be there does need to be a distinction between bigger devices that exactly. go on desks. Exactly. I, I think that they have to be they have to be more different, I think. I think that, that is important. Yes. But how do you get there? Well, you get there if you make something like, assuming it is Marzipan, which is this intelligent shared UI framework that knows, you know, that, that has uh, device size classes built in and that is able to say, where am I running at the moment? What does it make sense for me as an app to do right now? Um, I don't think it... I think we are limiting ourselves if we think of the Mac is the Mac and the iPad is the iPad and the phone is the phone. And this idea of Apple is making this mobile OS for 
people who don't have big requirements and also they make the Mac OS, which is for more sophisticated users. This sort of closed mindset, I don't think it's uh, it gets us anywhere, honestly. Um, and saying this, I don't think... Also, I should point out that saying that Apple... I'm, I'm not saying that Apple should abandon macOS. I'm saying also that they should ditch iOS altogether and make just one. Because the yeah. the line... Because this argument can this be applied... This is not a, a platform war. No, no. This is about, like, if you... To, to make something that truly will work on both platforms yep. running into the future, it has to start again. Yes, yes. Which is... Apple OS, right? Like, it's the thing that I've been joking about for a while, but, like, I do think one day would happen, which is this one thing. I have noticed now at this point that Stephen has been very quiet. <laughs> just just thinking. Uh, two things. A, I, I buy into what you are saying, that Apple having two OSs in the long term doesn't make a lot of strategic sense if if they can build something that truly adapts to where it runs, like you said. That's the key. And when I think about that, I think about Microsoft, a company that has Windows on the desktop, has had it for decades, and tried putting it on the phone, and they blew it. But they are seeing success on tablets and convertibles and two-in-ones and that sort of stuff because they have finally gotten Windows to a point where it works with a touchscreen in a mobile context and with a you know 27 inch desktop or ultra widescreen desktop with a custom PC under the desk they have successfully more successful than anybody else built something that can span that range and i just i find that interesting that they've done it and apple is still in the 2OS camp it's interesting that you said about they blew it right cuz I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's just memories, but my my memory tells me that like people really liked um, what was it called Metro? It was Windows something or other. But it was that businesses were just not willing to adopt it because it was too too, too much change. It. Uh, I mean, we could we could get into why Windows Phone failed. It failed, I think, because ultimately we can probably only have two mobile OSs. Oh no, I don't mean mobile. I mean what they did on the desktop, right? Like when the, when mm. they brought that design language to the desktop with like whatever Windows it was, maybe eight. Eight but, like, brought there the Metro style, but it got ended up getting reversed for ten because in in a lot of places because it just it did. did but if you look at the it. but if you look at the way that it works now, Windows does work differently on a desktop than it does on a convertible i mean the, yeah. the windows 8 stuff it was too divorced and now they've sort of blended it where the start menu kind of looks like windows 8 anyways i think they're getting there but yeah i agree they are they are close like they are getting way closer to having this unified platform yeah i think uh i think that's really interesting to to see because they did miss the the, the boat on the mobile thing where i struggle to see how this plays out uh, so there's there's three scenarios, right? Uh, there's one, Mike, that you talk about of a new third OS built from the ground up for everything. There's the scenario which isn't going to happen where Mac OS takes over everything and iOS fades away, which is just <laughs> not going to happen. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense, right? It's too, old. It, it's too much it's, legacy, It's too right? old and it's too set in its ways. Uh, and then there's the other one, which is iOS assumes the Mac and... What Project Marzipan and ARM Macs are really about is making the Mac 
much more iOS-like. And I'm not talking about like when they put the stupid linen everywhere. I'm talking about like fundamentally, structurally like iOS. And uh, I just, I don't know which one, well, I know which one isn't happening, but you can see a world where Apple would basically pick the Microsoft route and say, okay, we have our dominant OS is iOS. It's secure, it's fast, it's flexible. And we were going to kind of slowly override the Mac with iOS and out the other end. That's just a bad idea, right? Like that's, it's terrible. I think it is. I I think it is. I think the right answer is uh, for now, we're going to make it easier on developers to run their stuff everywhere. And we're going to make Mac hardware that you know, has all the benefits of ARM processors that's super fast and the battery life is insane and we can get rid of fans everywhere and I don't know what we do with the Mac Pro yet, so I'm just going to gloss over it. For years, James Thompson has had this joke that he said about, like, that the next Mac Pro would be 64 ARM processors in, like, a box. And, yeah. like, we're getting closer to that, to that I think, just, uh, which is kind of funny. Massively multiprocessor machines. Yeah. Um, and and this is a transition, right? That the iMac Pro and Mac Pro will be the last to go. They'll be on Intel longer than anything. But um, but in the meantime, you're building this third, what Mike dubbed Apple OS, and I think that's the right answer. But I also think it's by far the most risky answer because because iOS is so extremely successful that if you are going to replace it, even over time and in chunks, with something new. That is bold. And and Apple, again, talking about transitions, Apple does big, bold things, and generally they pay off, but it has got to be perfect. It's got to be, you know, how how do I move? How many apps are in the App Store now? Like, let's just say 40 million, 40 billion. Let's say 40 billion apps. You got to move 40 <laughs> a lot of billion apps. apps. You really went for that, didn't you? It's like 40 apps. No, wait, hang on. There's 4 trillion apps in the App Store. Yeah. You have to move 40 trillion apps to <laughs> not only to run on Jason and Federico's mythical like laptop iPad, which they should totally make, but uh, also run on a new OS with like new frameworks. And like, that's a lot of work. And, and you got to have the carrots and the sticks in order. And you have to make it make sense from a consumer perspective. You have to make it sense from people like me who like, I make my living on the most powerful Mac you can buy because it's the only machine that will do it for me. Like it's got to make sense to me. Like Apple has to check all those boxes and uh, I don't know about y'all, but like for some reason, this Bloomberg article and this story about marzipan, I really feel like we're on the edge of this starting. Like I, Mm -hmm. I believe that we are on the edge of seeing this change start. It's going to be slow. And it's, you know, the Intel transition they did in a year and a half, they announced it in June of 2005 in january 2006 they shipped the macbook and the imac with core two duo chips and by the by the next june or july they were done they had shipped the mac pro and the xserve with intel like a year later and they were finished and rosetta hung on for a couple of versions of, of mac os and then we yes we did lose some apps but they were probably already die, dying or, or already dead and within a couple of years People just forgot about it. You, you had a MacBook and things worked. This, I don't think is that because you're talking about an OS transition, a framework transition, a processor transition, and hopefully a form factor transition where they do embrace two-in-ones and convertibles and iPad laptops. Like 
that's a lot of stuff, guys. But I, I really feel like we are on the edge of whatever step one is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's pretty. We can all agree that that history keeps, you know, has a tendency to repeat itself. And ten years from now, when Apple is doing a big keynote about this crazy new product that they're launching, what's the OS that they're gonna say the new one is based upon? They're not gonna say we're making, you know, Apple OS or Universal OS, whatever it's called, and it's based on Mac OS X. No, it's going to be iOS. It's going to be based on iOS. Just like the iPhone in 2007 was based on Mac OS X. I think the answer is, of course, it's going to be based on iOS. The problem is a lot of people fear that kind of change. A lot of people fear that uh, they're going to lose what they love about the Mac. And I, I don't think Apple... I don't think Apple doesn't know what makes the Mac great, what makes the hmm. Mac uh, loved by so many people. I think that they they have been struggling with allocating resources and times and attention and time and attention and you know uh, to to the to Mac OS as a separate thing because it's so obvious that you know billions of people maybe uh, let's just say hundreds of millions are using mobile devices, are using another OS. And any other company would say, no, I mean, sure, uh, we still make the Mac, okay, but devote more time and more money to to the other guys, to, to iOS. So those who are saying, no, Apple should keep making Mac OS forever as a separate thing, they're just making themselves a disservice, really, because that... You know, we we have tried that. Apple has tried that, and obviously, clearly, it's not worked out. And we need it. We need to try something else. And the something else at this point is we only have one answer, and that answer is it needs to be based on iOS. And whether it's iOS coming to the Mac or an entirely new thing, that ultimately doesn't matter in the sense that as long as Apple knows what makes the Mac great. Sure. I don't think saying that Apple is going to bring iOS to the Mac or saying Apple is going to make a new platform and altogether, I don't think that necessarily means Apple will forget about Windows uh, and the dock and keyboard shortcuts and the menu bar. I think Apple knows what makes their desktop computer platform great, but the current approach has not worked because the Mac, I mean, it, everybody can see that it languished, essentially. And it's, I don't want to say that it's going nowhere, but the innovation pace is considerably slower than iOS. That's obvious. Everybody can see that. And so maybe mm-hmm. it's time to try something else. I think you're right there. You know, and part of this too is the, the idea that the Mac has slowed down in development. It's not making the leaps and bounds it once did. Part of it is just, it's a really mature operating system. They shipped it in 2001 but the the stuff under the hood is even more mature than that. It, it was birthed as Mac OS 10 in 2001 as a pretty well-rounded OS. They've added a lot of stuff to make it a lot better, but it it came into this world with its head on its shoulders. And uh, in the intervening 17 years, you know, you kind of check all the boxes and you get into a position where. There's not that much low-hanging fruit left. I think iOS is, at least on the iPhone, is is nearing that point too. The iPad, there's lots of stuff they could do. Um, 
you know, I look at that and I think, yeah, the Mac is mature. It's stable. I like that, you know, it's not making these big leaps and bounds anymore because it works the way I want it to. Uh, So they got to preserve all that stuff. Uh, Or they have to be willing to look at Mac users and say, you know what, you might not like this for a while. Or it might not be for you. You If this happens and we come out of the other side of this in five years and it doesn't work for some people, Apple's got to be okay with that. And uh, that'll be interesting to see how they handle that because the the Mac user base is so broad and diverse that they've – as as well as the iOS uh, user base, even broader and even more diverse. They've got to meet – you know, a set percentage of those needs or they don't have a company anymore. So I guess we'll see how it goes. All right. Should we take a break? Yep. We feel good. I feel good. I don't know. I think okay. Steven feels good too. He doesn't sound upset. So I think we, I'm good. not upset. I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, it's all theoretical now. <laughs> Ask me in June, but also this, <laughs> this went much, much better than I was expecting Michael. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy about that. Okay, this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Hey, freelancers, you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business, right? Well, our friends at FreshBooks can help you save up to 192 hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers and self-employed people that is so easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. I'm one of them. Use FreshBooks. Basically every day, so does Stephen. We have used FreshBooks for Relay FM since the very beginning because their software is so good. It makes things so easy. I don't have to worry about whether people have seen my invoices. I can just go in and check it. It's so simple to be able to log in, be able to see what's available to you. You get notifications every time you log in as well, so you know what's changed since the last time you were there, and then you know how to fix it. It's super great. You can set up late payment email reminders as well, so you spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic and getting your work done. If you're listening to this and not yet using FreshBooks, now is the time to try it, and you really, really should, because it's free to do for 30 days. FreshBooks are giving an unrestricted 30-day free trial to listeners of this show. No credit card required just go out go in play around of it maybe even just go and see what it's like to build an invoice and you can see how simple and awesome it is and then you'll know you want to switch all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com connected and enter connected in the how did you hear about a section so they know that you came to them from this show that is freshbooks.com connected our thanks to freshbooks for their support of this show and relay fm so apple have hired a guy uh with the name john Wow, Gianandria? Gianandria? Is that how we're going to go with that? I went with uh, Gianandria on Subnet, and no one has emailed me yet to tell me I got it wrong. Okay, so. Gianandria is pretty good. Federico, do you have a better sure. pronunciation so, for us? This is an Italian name. I figured. Any, uh, the Italian version would be Gianandrea. That's Gian how Andrea. you would Okay. Yes. I like that. We can go with that. Okay, so. I'm going to call him uh, Johnny G. Johnny G. Johnny G. <laughs> Johnny G was Google's chief of search and artificial intelligence. That's AI for anyone who's not uh, oh, keeping that's score. what it stands for. That's what it means. Seriously? So it's not almost impossible? <laughs> Man, you machine Turns learned out, the heck out of that. It actually is almost impossible. <sighs> Apple have said that uh, Gen Andrea, is that, wait, yes. is that how we were doing it? Yes. Gen Andrea will run Apple's machine learning and AI strategy. And he will be one of the 16 executives that report directly 
to Timmy C. In an email to Apple employees, <laughs> Cook said, Our technology must be infused with the values we all hold dear. John shares our commitment to privacy and our thoughtful approach as we make computers even smarter and more personal. Mm. John Andrea was, uh, what, what he did at Google was help them push AI throughout all of their products, and he's been there for eight years. I think he departed on Monday, and everyone was like, Whoa, we've, yeah. there's this guy on the market now. But it turns out <laughs> that Apple had hired him. <laughs> So yeah. mm. at a time when Apple is being kind of really heavily criticized for the intelligence of Siri, this is a pretty strong public statement, right? To show that they kind of maybe understand that and they want to hire some big guns to help them fix it. it like pub- publicity-wise, it looks good, right? It looks great, uh, especially because uh, what are the chances, the chances that the New York Times reports on this with a with a quote from an internal email, and that quote happens to be about privacy. Imagine that. The Google guy goes to Apple <laughs> and the Times yeah. as a, you know. But it looks great. And it's a, it's a, it honestly like a major get for, for Apple. Um, you know, it's not like you just got some random dude from some college and that guy had <laughs> written a paper about AI no, y- and he's a brilliant... Got- you know, it's not like some yeah. random person. It's just some dude. He is the head of the company that does this better than yes. anybody else. Yes. And now he's working for Apple. I guess my, I don't want to say concern, but my question is um, the, the cultural fit within Apple. Because if this person is used to approaching these problems in a certain way, or like, okay, now I need to work with, you know, X millions of data points about customer data. And it goes to Timmy C and it's like, uh, so can you give me access to that sweet, sweet iCloud email database? It's like, no, you cannot get access to emails. It's like, okay, uh, now we have a problem here. So that's the that's the, uh, the the more pessimistic viewpoint. The optimistic one, which is the one that I like to believe, is that this person knows what they're getting into and Apple mm-hmm. knows what this person uh, wants to do. It's not like Apple saw this guy on the market. It's like, oh, quick, quick, we, we must hire this person, even though we don't know how they work and what ideas they have. Or they've, what... they've, they, they've had conversations to make <laughs> yes. sure that their ideas match yes. up beforehand. It will still be a shock to him in places, I bet, though. When like you, You're just so used to a thing and it's like, oh... Huh, okay, well, we need to find a more interesting way to solve that problem. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because it's the um, the fact that he reports directly to Tim Cook and not to, say, Eddie Q. Um, it or Federighi. Or Federighi, really. It's the prestige of saying, I'm the executive in charge of AI uh, and privacy and all this stuff, these really complex problems, and I report directly to the CEO, not to the guy in charge of iOS and macOS. Um, mm-hmm. it, it puts him in a position of power that we I don't think we've seen at this point so far. Even with, you know, Core ML and what Apple has been doing with machine learning, we, we didn't have uh, an SVP for AI at Apple, and now we do, and I think that's important. So here's my question. Who runs Siri? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think this job is bigger than just Siri. Yeah. 
right? The the quote is about across all of our products, and mm-hmm. I think Siri is just one element. It's the public facing element of it, but they're doing machine learning in the smart keyboard, and they're doing it in photo matching, and like I think Siri may fall under him at some point. Like maybe there's some stuff that we're not seeing below the surface, but uh, I think this I think this job that old Johnny G just inherited or just created really out of thin air is uh, is bigger than just Siri. I think there's a lot more to it than just that. I think that it is at least good that Apple considered AI and machine learning important enough to create an executive position, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, there are so many people that were big in other companies, got acquired or whatever, and they ended up just falling in somewhere, right? Into some mid-management position. But this is like, no, no, like this is a, you know, executive of role that we're doing here, which mm-hmm. is that that's interesting to me, right? Because it shows that, you know, as you're saying, like it, all of these things touch all parts of the OS, but it all still is under Federighi right now, right? Yeah. Like it's still part of the OS, which he runs, but this is like another part of that, right? Like this is like, okay, now you have this guy who oversees all of this stuff. I wonder how it works, right, with the way that Apple's seeming structure seems to work. It, it seems like an interesting way of doing it, but yeah. nevertheless, still important. And it's almost like it's graduating from a feature to an entire division. That's my, yes. my feeling. Like, it's not more like an afterthought, like, hey, yeah, by the way, we got AI in iMessage. It's like, no, it, AI is a core um product of our operating systems and devices and we have a person in charge and they have a team and all that uh, and Siri is in, in an implementation of that and that that's an, at least my idea I'm on Apple's executive page right now and I really really like that um, everybody is arranged alphabetically except Tim he's number one and then everybody I mean, else course. is yeah. alphabetically he's arranged he's number like zero that. yeah he's <laughs> number he zero He's Tim O'Cook, but they, they hide the O. The O is, is non, non-visual. Uh, this is, I mean, you know, I think that this can only be a good thing. I, I really hope that it is an actual sign of desire to change. But then the other part of it is, have they been working on it really hard before he got there? Because let's say that, like, it's... Let's just imagine everything is continuing to be run the same way that it's been run for the last couple of years, right? And that they're making that level of investment. That means we're still multiple, like a very long time away from significant change. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, this stuff takes time. And even with an annual release cycle of the OS, you know, you've got to build a new team and a new division, like if like what Federico is saying is correct. So this isn't going to be like in June, they radically have improved all of their stuff. I think this is a long-term move, but... I still, I'm still encouraged by it. It is a good sign. Like, it is a very good sign. Um, I'm keen to see what comes out of it. Do we have anything else on this or anything else at all today? I feel good. Yeah. All right. We good? Good? Yeah. Wrap it up? Yeah. Let's wrap it up. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. So that is our episode. If you want to find... Let's follow up, Don. <laughs> Follow-up's done, right? We said we were going to finish after follow-up. Okay. Sounds we, like we'll just follow-up. We up. should begin with topic one uh, now. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's do this.
So Federico Vitici wrote an article on Mac Stories <laughs> extolling the death of the Macintosh. Federico, would you like to talk about this? Yes. Um, the Mac is gone. Go home. You're it's all gone. using computers wrong. Breaking. Mac's gone. <laughs> Tip attack meme. That's uh, awkward for your website name. <laughs> I know, right? It's just called stories.net now. <laughs> That's a great name, actually. Taking the Mac out of Mac Stories. Can I buy stories.net? Apple Stories. You got you got to get some domains. I have one of those if you want one, by the way. Oh. Oh, iOSStories.net. Stories.net has got a sad landing page. Of course it does. No <laughs> one's using that. Anyways, if you want to find links to what we talked about, uh, head over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 187. You can also find them uh, in your podcast app of choice. Of course, if you're on that webpage, you can do a couple things. You can send us an email. You can find links there uh, to where we are on Twitter. You can find Mike. There's I-M-Y-K-E. And Mike is the host of a whole bunch of shows here on Relay FM. You can check those out at relay.fm slash shows. You can follow Federico at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And as just talked about, he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. And uh, you can find me as ISMH, and I write at 512pixels.net. We all have other shows on the network, so go, go check those out. Uh, thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Pingdom, and FreshBooks. They made all this possible. And until, until next week, say goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. T- what do I say? You say uh, cheerio, Mike. Okay, so, I'm sorry. Cheerio. Adios. <laughs>